1: Oh, did you have a sneaky after-show nut? Not yeah.
2: they're good, aren't they? They definitely hit the spot. So, do you know what? I'm really, I'm slightly troubled, actually, by that email. We won't mention his name. And, well, the texter, who texted in, after we'd done that lovely interview with Trevor, uh, who'd left the army because uh, he was gay and he had to decide between having a loving relationship with someone he wanted to have a relationship with or staying in the British Armed Forces and serving his country and he was on the horns of a dilemma and chose the relationship but has been part of a lobby group uh, lobbying for justice around that. And I didn't realise, Jane, uh, that even by the year 2000, it was still illegal to be gay in the army. So that's not serving on the front line or anything like that. Just to be in it. Just to be in it. I think it also
1: applied in the Navy and the RN. Yes,
2: sorry, uh, British Armed Forces, I should have said. Uh, But somebody then... uh, messaged in to say why would you have any sympathy you know they basically they being gay people uh, knew what the laws were so you know why would they expect it to change i mean uh, just just because
1: it was wrong <laughs> you, is it naive to say that you know it's just wrong i think maybe naive to think that everyone has got on board with the 21st century because I think we only have to look at social media and indeed read some letters pages to know that not everybody is not everyone has hopped on the 21st century bus
2: no I know that but I suppose it's just the it's
1: sad when you actually see evidence of it isn't it
2: yes and just not being able to you know put the glasses of
1: hindsight
2: on and reconsider people's positions I think you You know, you should do that, shouldn't you? Yeah. Well, you should, yes. Yeah. Anyway, It's just annoyed me. Um, Mm. uh, Yes, but you're right. Good to be reminded of that. Uh, Right. On to brighter things. Now, I was quite disappointed, actually, after yesterday's podcast, Jane, that we uh, we didn't hear anything about the exciting Japanese business offer that had come our way.
1: It seems to have, just for the moment, vanished. But I'm (laughs) sure they'll be back. Because they did say they were... Was it the third or fourth time they'd emailed us? I can't remember.
2: I don't know, but they were looking for—they were looking to link up with us yeah. in a partnership that would be beneficial to everybody. To we everybody just involved. had to agree to their terms.
1: Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of uh, a couple of years ago when I got a letter to my home address from a long-lost cousin, informing me of the death of another relative I hadn't heard of, and oh. promising me all kinds of riches. Gosh. I know. Well, I'd never, I, funnily enough, I haven't heard from them since either. Yeah,
2: but you must have been very upset at the demise of a relative you didn't know. It's a
1: bit difficult. It's a bit like when you see, um, what's that show where you retrace your family?
2: Uh, long Lost Family. No, no, who, who do, do you think you, think you are? are?
1: No, Long Lost Family no, is really sad. I, mean, sad. I mean, I, I do cry at that, but who do you think you are always find it? They do, a lot of the celebrities they have on, they do sort of obligingly well up when they discover that great 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 granddad Reg, you know, had a had three nipples and uh, and a lisp. Yeah. You know? and died in the workhouse. <laughs> and died in the workhouse, yeah. You know, I just think, yeah, well No even did
2: you? What I always um, love is where they find a very, very, very tenuous connection way back in the past. So you'll have someone who's an absolutely certifiable entertainer yeah. in this generation. And fourteen generations ago uh, Bob, their great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, mm. uh, once uh, held the door open for the equivalent of Bobby Davro in the 17th <laughs> That's century. proving that but it's, it's
1: genetic. It's always in your genes. It's always, always new. Yeah. In my destiny. Well, we shouldn't because I'm sure it's a very successful format. Well, well it must be because it keeps
2: coming back. <laughs> so they investigate people without you knowing that you're being investigated before you're invited on, don't they? Oh, do they? So yes. that they,
1: if you're a bad bet, they just leave you alone? Because
2: they don't want too many dullards. <laughs> so I think you can guarantee right. that your past has been investigated and it's just too dull to be on. Mm.
1: OK. If well,
2: if it wasn't, would you go on? Because there's always a possibility you find out something terrible.
1: Yes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would want to find out anything terrible because it might then slightly haunt you in a way that would be completely inappropriate. Because as I've already said, they aren't people. that are actually figure in your life. You'll just vaguely share some DNA with them. No, I'm going to say no to who do you think you are. excellent. Who, by the way, haven't expressed a shred of interest in featuring me. (laughs) Um, We did talk to Karen Brady yesterday on the programme just about small business and about uh, the problem of not getting paid if you are running a small business. And just really quickly, this is from Jenny, who says, running your own business is, as Karen Brady described, you do have to get the work in, you have to do the work, then you have to get paid for it. Our terms are 30 days from date of invoice, 25 percent of clients though take us up to 60 days or more to pay and they are usually the ones with the multi-million pound turnover this gets worse when times are tough as paying suppliers late is cheaper than paying the interest on your business overdraft so it all comes down to Raw economics, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's vicious, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So I totally get what you're saying. Jenny just says how stressful it is uh, running a small business. And we have in the past, due to being owed a month's turnover for a year, we had to remortgage our house oh. in order to pay employees and keep our business going. And what is the business? Uh, it looks like a design company. Okay. Yeah. I've been chasing late payments for 33 years, says Jenny, so I don't expect it to change. Wow. So it's just a cultural thing, isn't it? It's yeah. just what you do. Is I suppose you try and get away with. I mean, it may be that you can't pay because you haven't been paid. I suppose that's possible, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Well, you're still receiving some payment issues from our previous <laughs> employer that date <laughs> back please, to please the don't previous open. century. <laughs>
1: I don't that, No, let's not.
2: That's not. No. Uh, yeah. OK, let's move very quickly on to tapestry on the Northern Line, everybody. Dear Fee and Jane, I heard you talking about the man embroidering on the Northern Line and your thoughts on what the design might be. My friend who also embroiders on the Northern Line, and that's gone into inverted commas, which I will now use as a euphemism for something, does these kits and... Uh, Tomoffinland.org is where you can go if you want to. Hang on a sec.
1: (laughs) I think even I know what Tom of Finland is. Cross stitches of homoerotic iconography. Yes, very famous. Yes, I favour the
2: Subversive Cross-Stitch book, which has lots of sweary motifs, uh, which is called subversivecrossstitch.com. And that's the only one that I looked up because I wasn't brave enough to look up Tom of Finland on the office computer today, Vicky. Uh, So I looked up Subversive Cross-Stitch and I'm going to order myself a pack uh, because they're fantastic. Uh, One of them says, I love the nights I can't remember with the friends I can't forget.
1: <laughs> Which I think that is, is good, brilliant. Yeah, that'll be us at last It won't will,
2: it? won't it? And the other one that I like was Fiesta, like "There's No Manana." So mm. those are, and then you can hang them up, you know. In those, you know, where people have the "Keep Calm and Carry On" type poster yeah. things in your house. Yeah. Uh, so I'm probably not going to do the Tom of Finland uh, one if that's okay, but only—well, <laughs> it is okay, yeah. Only because uh, that's just—I think the—I think Brian and Barbara might might find it tricky. I don't know. Uh, cool cat certainly wouldn't. That's absolutely his type of thing. And as for Nance, <laughs> uh, but I like the idea of a bit of subversive cross stitch. That would be one of those craft things I start and don't
1: finish. Jane. Well, yeah, but the whole guerrilla knitting uh, area is fascinating. It and is, I, you know. Yeah. And I, I do, I love all that stuff. I love the fact that people make things for the tops of post boxes and stuff like that.
2: And quite often, there's a slightly um, kind of saucy undertone, yeah, in craft, which I enjoy enormously. Mm. I mean, it's how Grayson Perry made his fame and fortune, isn't it? Because when he was doing his pots, they were covered with all kinds of things, Jane.
1: Yes, but of course, the ancient Greeks weren't no stranger to
2: that. They weren't, no. We had a terrible, terrible classics lesson once, which with the much revered Mrs. Rankin, often mentioned on this podcast, uh, where she was giving us a slideshow, which involved quite a lot of uh, men's quivers. Right. Yeah, it didn't go well. And, and that was the moment where she said to all of us, "You're on the verge of becoming adult women. Just yeah. grow up." Well, yeah. And she had an absolutely massive point,
1: but it did take us about half. Say half something else there. there. She had a massive point, right? Okay, <laughs> right. Stop um, it. No puerile and I'll take that back. Okay, this is from Rosie and this is a serious email actually about Diana Bird, who was the RAF squadron leader that I talked to when you were on holiday about the evacuation from Kabul. And uh, Rosie says, um, I'm not connected to the military in any way, but I was also involved in the evacuation from Kabul. Um, I've only recently stopped work on evacuations of those who are not lucky enough to scramble onto a plane in those few weeks in August. I ran a women's integration project at a refugee charity in London and through that work met several incredible Afghan activists who've been granted refugee status and sought refuge in the UK before the most recent Taliban takeover. They continued their activism here, running women's rights seminars and programmes to aid their fellow female refugees in knowing and exercising their rights in the UK. So when things in Afghanistan started to deteriorate in 2021, my friend and former colleague uh, WhatsApp me in a panic asking if I could help her family and former colleagues, many of them female judges and lawyers, who were stuck in and in danger in Afghanistan. So um, Rosie goes on to say that actually listening to Diana, I was struck by the horrific choices she had to make and I could hear the complex and competing mix of rationality and professionalism and deep empathy and concern in her voice. Like her, I was diagnosed with PTSD caused by the extreme and unrelenting stress of this experience and I've spent nearly a year getting myself better so um to Rosie I really do hope you are better now and just um I couldn't read out all of your email but it's very much been read and uh I'm a huge admirer of what you've what you've been able to yeah, do yeah absolutely
2: I concur with all of that uh, this one comes from Rhiannon who's very kindly invited us to Tasmania do you think we're likely to get there Jane no Okay, well, there you go, Rhiannon. It's a hard no from the Garvey. Uh, This is because uh, she has recently returned to Tasmania after 17 years living in London. And it's because we were talking about Deadlock, which is this uh, really funny, funny uh, anti-misogynistic crime drama uh, that I've been banging on about. Are you going to sample it? Deadlock.
1: Yes. I don't think I am. Gosh, I'm sorry. I'm very I, do you know what? resistant to anybody well, else's it's suggestions. It's not just that. I genuinely don't have the time. Yes, you do. Oh, there's the housework. There's yes, preparing for this podcast. Yes, you time. Uh, you have no idea. There's the Radio Times column. You've got, well, I think you've got
2: some time for it. It's only about 45 minutes an episode. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, it's very funny. For other people who do want to indulge, I think it's on... Uh, I think it's on the Netflix. It's either no, on the Netflix, I think you said Amazon Prime. Or the Amazon. Uh, and it's deadlock with a CH uh, at the end. Uh, but Rhiannon just wanted to say that there are lots of similarities uh, in Tasmania. where So fact and fiction have merged uh, because in the series, they do have a seal called Kevin who keeps on tipping up on the shoreline. Uh, the real one is called Neil and is known for all sorts of antics, and they also have a huge midwinter festival, which the series takes the piss out of absolutely brilliantly. But I just wanted to note this ap- fantastic local newspaper headline: Neil the Seal breaks Tassie Park bench. <laughs> <laughs> and that
1: is why local newspapers are oh, that they are need brilliant.
2: to keep going.
1: Yeah. They really are brilliant. Yeah. Um, uh, Fasting was something we did briefly discuss actually on the programme today because fasting, as we've mentioned, I think previously, has just become very much a thing. Uh, Ian says, I've been fasting for years. I work from home and find eating lunch or breakfast makes me sleepy. I fast from getting up to about eight or nine in the evening. Living in Greece for five years didn't help. No idea what it does. Uh, but I feel fine, he says. You see, I think perhaps if you are working from home, then it might be all right.
2: I think for lots of yeah, people it's all right. I, I,
1: I think just when it's not all
2: right, might, you might feel there's a bit of pressure to keep going. But shout out to
1: to regular correspondent Bill in Hyten, who says, ladies, a word of warning, diabetics should be wary of fasting as um, we don't have to fast for blood tests any longer as it's too risky. Mm. Right, that's interesting. Yes, thanks for that, Bill. Probably should have known that diabetics can't fast. Um, well, now Ian mentioned living in Greece, and thank you to the people who've talked to us about being in heat waves. Have you got any of those? Oh,
2: well, Julia has recounted um, some tales to tell from Puglia, uh, which she has just come back from. Mm. And the sentence that really sums it up for me uh, is she says, It felt as if my eyes were literally boiling in their sockets. Because even in one of those Trullos, which are those extraordinary. Uh, dome shaped houses that mm. you get in southeast italy uh, which have been built because it is such a arid and acrid and hot landscape yeah. even inside those they couldn't get cool enough and it just sounds nightmarish and i really do fully understand we're talking about people going on holiday and not having a great time you know this is not people having to lose their livelihoods no. and their families because of the heat uh, but it is just um i i think those stories of human bodies not being able to cope with it. We are drawn to those, aren't we? Because it's such a nightmarish scenario. Have you got one of Um, horror?
1: Yes, I have. I was just looking at Julia's again. We've never been so glad to return to the cooler British weather as we were in the early hours of Monday morning. The point that comes across from, from Julia's brilliant email is this is just not fun. And I absolutely take your point that it's a first world issue and if you're lucky enough to be having a foreign holiday, you're basically doing okay. But we do, most of us, really look forward to our week Mm. in the sun, don't we?
2: Yeah, and also it is really, really true, Jane, that if we stop going to lots of destinations that we've gone to for the last, you know, 30 or 40 years, Mm. those destinations will suffer. You know, there are whole swathes of Europe that really, really depend on the tourist industry. So if we all go not going anywhere near those because it's too hot.
1: Uh, Kiki says, I live in Mallorca, or is it Mallorca? How do you pronounce that? Mallorca. No, it's M-A-L-L. Mallorca. Yeah, that's Mallorca. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, Right now, she says, it's just awful. When I first moved here 10 years ago, I thought it was really odd that the local people kept their shutters closed all day in the summer. What about the views, the sunshine, I would now think. No, sorry. What about the views and the sunshine, I'd think. My shutters have now been closed for a week. I'm off to Scotland on holiday in a couple of weeks and the thought of packing a jumper is just joyful. I have attached a photo of the temperature in my car today, 42 with around 60% humidity. I try not to think of idiots chucking cigarette ends out of cars or starting barbecues because it honestly feels like a tinderbox here. I hope the local economy and the ecology of these beautiful Balearic Islands survive. None of the locals I speak to think any of this is normal Mm. anymore. Uh, right, and uh, Kiki says she's grateful for her air conditioning unit. Um, we wanted to do a feature on, well, uh, just an item on air conditioning, to talk about who invented it, um, how it works, uh, whether in fact we have just been making the situation much worse ourselves if well, we all we installed be. it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Well, I think
2: we've probably still got some opportunity to do that over the next couple of weeks so i'll tell you what now here's a sentence i never thought i'd find myself saying if you've got any specific questions about air conditioning jane and fee at times.radio or even better
1: if you're an air conditioning expert oh yeah or well, you know one
2: just phone in okay if if you'd like to come on and explain air conditioning 8722 start your message with the word times you've just got to do it really sexily though what they have or yeah. I have.
1: No, not us. What? Chance to be a fine thing. I want someone to come on and just, you know. And
2: be sexy about aircon. Absolutely. Oh, OK. Right. Turn the heat down, everybody. Uh, Sean, I loved your email because uh, it was about Alita Adams and uh, actually mishearing the lyrics to Get her Where You Can, which has, in reality, an excruciating rhyming couplet uh, where caravan is rhymed with Arab man. Uh, but a colleague of Sean's had been confused for years and she had been belting it out, uh, rhyming caravan with errant man, which I think yes. is much better. It is actually better. Like an errant man. <laughs> and it's just lovely that that's what she heard. Yeah. And can I just say a quick tip as well? Because you read out an email yesterday... um about uh, somebody who was a little bit worried about the Ripper Bar opening up and was reporting a campaign Mm. uh, not to celebrate the work of Jack the Ripper and to have a whole pub where you go, yeah, let's meet in this place. It's pathetic. Which just seemed ridiculous. Um, And uh, I just wanted to say there's a fantastic
1: book. Have you read The Five? I have. And I was tr- Actually, I have read it, and I was trying to remember the name of the author. I think she Hallie shares... Hallie That's it. She, she shares an agent with us. Yeah. yeah. So uh, she book. has
2: written a really, really brilliant book called The Five, which is The Untold Lives uh, of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper. And it's just such a superb book, because you might think, oh, this is going to be a bit depressing, but it's not, because what she's trying to do is to tell you all about these wonderful women whose lives were taken away from them. But she does it in a way where you're really really interested Mm. uh, in their lives. So it's not salacious. It's not celebrating anything about him. It's Mm. really, really good. So can I just recommend uh, anybody who would like to feel that they're slightly redressing the balance, I suppose,
1: uh, have a read of that book. It's very good. Um, Celia says, uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine was a wonderful woman from history, and she is often a history answer. Her second husband, she was married to what a saucepot. Her second husband was Henry II. Careful. with, with whom it says here with whom she fathered four sons? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean she clearly was a remarkable woman from history. Uh, and two of them became king. Two of them became king. Can you name the two sons of Eleatin are backwards? This is your start of well, it wouldn't be a start of a ten, would it? It'd be like a an extra harder question.
2: It would, um from Amol. So well I I know that one of those is Henry the First. Nope. Henry the How would Henry the Second's son be Henry the <laughs> First? I don't know. That's so why I didn't do very well on University Challenge. One of them's Henry
1: the Second. No, he was Henry the Second. Henry II was Henry the Second. I tell you who I don't know anything about. Henry the I don't know much about Henry the Second. I don't clearly. know anything. Well, I know a bit. Anyway, the answer to this rib tickler is that two the two sons of Eleanor of Aquitaine and Henry the Second who became king were Richard. <laughs> And I always think Richard the First. It says here. Oh, yeah, there was a Richard the Second, wasn't there? Because he died in a very unpleasant way. And then there was Richard III, <laughs> the Third, who also yes. had and issues. And we know about Richard the do don't we? Yeah, uh, Richard the First and John. John. <laughs> OK, well. Oh, John. He was king, not for long. Oh dear
2: Thank you, Sina I, I actually don't really want to see the miniseries about any of them That's where we started There's a, There's been a graph sent in I'd love a graph Do you oh, yeah. like a graph? I do like This is a very good one. Oh, so this is a graph that uh, is on the one hand it's affinity versus human likeness uh, and points in the graph include healthy person bun raku puppet stuffed animal industrial robot corpse zombie and prosthetic hand Here comes the email Yeah Dear Jane and Fee, I was listening to your piece about the disturbing photo of old toy dolls. We've put it up on the Insta. I'm a psychologist and a few years ago I came across an article in our professional publication about a phenomenon in psychology called the uncanny valley. This is an experience we get when we look at something that has an uncanny resemblance to the human form, yet something about it isn't quite right and so makes us feel very uneasy. It's called a valley. Don't make any jokes there. Mm-hmm. It's called a valley because we're initially drawn to the human like qualities, but can then be disturbed by the oddity or eeriness of what we're actually seeing. So, seeing a box full of effectively broken and contorted bodies probably triggers this neurological response. We know it's not human, yet the uncanny familiarity draws us emotionally towards it. Geeky graph attached.
1: I think that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. But for someone to have bothered to do a graph, that's incredible, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think the days can be quite long at some of these institutions. Mm. And um, to be honest, we had quite a long afternoon here today, didn't we? we did. quite, quite a long one. And we've got a very long car drive. Oh, I know, yes. All of us together tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was talk well, of someone making a mixtape.
2: No, we were going to make a playlist. Oh yeah, that's what we'll you call the it programme. these days. Yes, yeah, sorry. But, but the front seat's already been bagged by mm. someone who's carsick. Oh, I know. it's it's not uh, it's not a it's not a dream journey really.
1: No, I th- but we'll get that. We've got a dream team, though. She said hastily.
2: Mm. I might put that Alita Adams on the playlist. Yes, do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Right. Our big guest, and we really enjoyed chatting to her, is Lisa Jewell. Um, You really have got to hand it to Lisa. She keeps the books coming. Uh, She wrote her first book, Ralph's Party, in uh, 1998. Actually, she started it, I think, the year before it came out in 1999. And I think it was the best-selling debut novel of that year. That was, I suppose, a relatively frothy... Uh, London fun times kind of caper book. But her latest is the sort of book she now writes much more regularly, a very dark psychological thriller. And this is dark. It's called None of This is True. And it's about two women whose lives collide. There is Alex, a glamorous podcaster and a woman called Josie Fares, who says she has a story to tell Alex. Now, Lisa did admit that in real life, she doesn't know a great deal about what podcasters actually get up to. Are our lives as glamorous as Lisa seemed to think in the book? Well, we had to tell her that actually podcasters tend not to be quite as glitzy as she might have imagined.
3: I have to say, I don't really know much about what podcasters' real lives look like. (laughs) I'd originally, the character who's a podcaster in the book, was originally going to be a novelist. Right. Um, And again, I mean, I can only take my own experience of what the life of a novelist looks like. Uh, But when I decided she was going to be a podcaster, I just had to make it up I thought, I don't know any podcasters. (laughs) And I just thought, well, she's surely got to be terribly glamorous and live in a lovely house in North London. Ring any bells?
2: (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Okay.
3: (laughs) So it's just me then.
1: Um, And this woman is Alex Summers. Now, she does a podcast where actually it's a good idea and we might nick it. Uh, She interviews successful women but inevitably along their way, the highway to success, they've had a few twists and turns. Yes. That's the gist of it, isn't it? Yes. But she feels she's run out of puff with that concept.
3: Yes, I think she's done 20 episodes of interviewing these women who've had these extraordinary journeys to become successful, and she's come to the end of it, and she's run out of ideas, and as a novelist, I know what that feels like. Right. When you know that you should be about to start being creative on your next project, and there's nothing in the bank. Um, and yes, at that precise moment when she feels like there's nothing in the bank, she meets this very a uh, strange woman in a pub in Queen's Park.
1: And it's quite significant that it happens to be that they're both marking their forty fifth birthdays. That's right. Now, is there anything about reaching forty five that that was important to you? because I, I read once. I'm sure I read that forty five was when women reached their sexual peak. Oh, which is I didn't get that incredibly bad news <laughs> from my perspective, but I, but I had I had read it somewhere.
3: Yeah, no, I didn't. It was nothing to do with sexual peaks. Okay. Tr- I think it was subconsciously, and it actually worked out really well, because I wanted to really delineate these two women who have happened to be born in the same hospital on the same day, um, but have in- ended up in- living incredibly different lives. And I thought there's something really interesting about 45-year-old women, is that where they are at that point in their lives is so dependent if they've had children on when they had those children. Some women are already in the empty nest when they're 45. Which is the case with Josie. She had her children young and, had, and now she's living in the empty nest and looking at the, ne- the next half of her life and wondering what it's going to look like. Whereas Alex had her children in her 30s. So they're at primary school and she's deep in the thick of that sort of small child parenting zone of her life and not thinking ahead to what the rest of her life will look like. So it was an interesting age from that point of view. I absolutely take that. But there's also a bit about being 45 where,
1: if you're honest with yourself, if it hasn't happened for you by 45, oh, yeah. chances are... yes. it's not going to is it yes it's rather brutal
3: it's there is i'm sure there are exceptions to that i'm sure there are many honorable exceptions to that but Mm. it is yes you do feel like you're running out of time to do the thing that you wanted to do or make the success of the thing you wanted to make a success of yes so alex is looking for new inspiration she knows
1: that she needs a new concept for a podcast yeah why does this woman appear to her
3: Uh, Well, she sort of does not She sort of repels Alex in a way because Alex is very glossy, as you say. Um, And Josie appears from nowhere into her life on the night of their 45th birthdays, And she's kind of odd. She's unsettling. She's a little bit creepy. And I love writing about creepy people. So when she um, approaches Alex, she finds out where Alex's children go to school. And it's the same school that her children went to when they were small. So she approaches her outside the school and says, I've got this great idea for a podcast. You should do one about me because... I'm about to change my life and I thought it might be really interesting for you to interview a woman while she's changing her life rather than afterwards. Um, And Alex's instinctive gut reaction is like, oh no thank you, you're a bit strange, I don't want you in my life. But then two things happen, that sort of middle class sort of politeness overrides that, she doesn't Mm. want to be rude, she doesn't want to offend, she doesn't want to upset this woman and also the journalist in her because this woman is promising her a story and she finds that ri- and she needs a story so she goes against all her gut instincts and says yes okay um there's a real cuckoo in the nest kind of quality to the book because
1: josie enters her home at, well not just her life enters her yeah. home uh becomes well ends up living there for reasons we probably don't need to go into yeah. uh, and her husband alex's husband nathan is deeply spooked by this yes frankly as i would guess
3: um just explain a little bit more about the impact she has on that family <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, it, it's absolutely. I think from the minute that Alex says yes to Josie's proposition, that's it. That's that. She's lost control of the situation. completely. She doesn't know she's lost control of the situation completely, but she actually has. Uh, so therefore, once Josie decides how the rest of the story is going to play out, Alex hasn't got any choice in the matter. So yeah, she ends up, as you say, cuckoo, cuckoo in the nest and makes everybody miserable, makes everybody miserable. Um, everybody uncomfortable including Alex but for reasons that we can't go into she feels unable to turf Josie out onto well, the street. Well partly because Josie's still coming up with this amazing material. Yes and, she's, and it's very drip feed and I'm sure actually in the real world if someone was interviewing someone for a podcast they'd have got the story out of them a bit quicker well, but no, for the sake no, of no. the not, book. Not it's us, yeah. <laughs> it's, it doesn't always <laughs> no. uh, For uh, the sake of the book it is quite drip feed and she does stretch it out yes. How enjoyable is it as the writer to write thrillers with an unreliable narrator? Well it's brilliant for me in particular because I write without a plan and I don't know what's going to happen until it's happened. So therefore to have an unreliable narrator means that I can just sort of I know, they can go any way that they decide to go and I can just tweak them now and then and there's so much flexibility in writing an unreliable narrator where I don't know if what they're telling me is the truth. I didn't work out what was true or not in this book until about six months after I finished writing it. Really? Uh, yeah, six months after I finished writing it, I suddenly thought, oh, okay, I absolutely see exactly what well, happened now. Okay, can I just say that
1: <laughs> by the end of the book, I have to say, by the way, I didn't just read this book. I gobbled it up on a train, I was making a journey on Saturday, I read the first half on the way there, the second half on the way back. Excellent. I'm not sure I've ever done that before, actually. So you have that incredible ability to write books that just fill your head and you need to you need to finish them. But to go back to your point that you started making about an hour ago when I started this question, <laughs> um, I don't know. I've read the book, yeah. but I'm not sure I fully know
3: okay. by the end. Who is telling the truth? Yeah. What well, I do now, but it's taken me a long time okay. to piece it together. So all I shouldn't together. be hard on myself. No, no. And
2: okay. is it very different to how the reader might end up feeling? No, at the end I of the think,
3: book. I think for a reader who might go directly from listening to this conversation to buying the book and reading the book, I would like to say to that reader that the the truth in, is in the last chapter. In fact, in the last two paragraphs of the last chapter, some people have taken that ending to be ambiguous or open. It's not. That is actually the truth. Oh. Uh, there are various other things that hadn't made sense for me until further down the line. But yeah.
2: And so is that different to the feeling that you've had when you've finished writing other books?
3: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I've never had that sense of that I've obfuscated and cast so many shadows over so many areas of the book that even I am not entirely sure about what's true and what's not, which is why the title when it came to me was just like, this is perfect. Yeah. Um, I've never had that feeling at the end of a book where I'm slightly in in, in the dark as well about what actually was going on. I usually work it out while I'm writing it, Mm. as opposed to knowing what it was before I've written it. But I've never written it and then not known what it was until six months later. Something else in the book
1: that I think will really resonate with probably all modern-day parents is the concept of a child spending almost their entire time in their bedroom. Yeah. And I have to say, I, it was ringing far too, too. I mean, I was actually thinking, this is, is so.
3: This does. This is a thing for everybody then.
1: And actually, it is, isn't
3: it? This I would like to say. This is slightly taken to an extreme. In as well, it, much it is, as Josie, but Josie shares a flat with her oldest daughter, who's twenty-three, mm. and hasn't seen her for a year. Yeah, um, well that, <laughs> can I say? And
2: she's developed some really
3: yeah. uh, serious neur-
2: neuroses. Yes, she hasn't has. She? But that's a very. Um, that's such a telling trope of modern life, isn't yeah. it, as well, where indulging your children actually becomes harmful or you know, whether or not you're allowing them to live something that we don't understand because
3: we didn't have screens yeah. in our bedrooms yes. and all the stuff that goes on there. And I do think a lot of it is to do with that exactly that, the screen in the bedroom, the whole world in the bedroom uh, and, and the character in question does have issues um, as well that make it hard for her to exist in the outside world, as a lot of kids mm. do these days. Mm. And so she's just, yeah, she's made a world for herself behind her bedroom door. Um, and it is, it is an extreme example of something that I think is quite common yeah. these days, I very think much so. will, I think
1: it will make quite a few parents yeah. just squirm slightly yeah. with recognition. Yeah. I should say, it isn't normal not to have seen your
3: own child for a year. No. I think we can. <laughs>
1: We can all all nail that, can't we? but it's
0: something to bear in mind. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com
3: Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions, These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs, and citizens are committed to a common goal. To protect our home, Earth. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You are listening to Off-Air and our guest today is the novelist Lisa Jewell. She started her writing career writing romantic novels, and so I asked Lisa if she'd always had a little bit of a desire to write the darker psychological stuff.
3: Interestingly, my ambition, if I was ever to imagine myself sitting down to write a novel, which I hadn't really in my 20s, because I was a secretary and I didn't think that that sort of thing that 20-something-year-old 20-something sec- something secretaries did. But had I thought of it, of it, I would have imagined myself writing a thriller. Um and in fact I did sit down when I did eventually um, get round to, to starting the novel. Um, I started a thriller and it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right, so I binned it and I started something a lot more lighthearted, which was um like a romantic comedy about flat sharers in Battersea in the nineties. You it was, did all right, didn't it you? It was a you yeah, know, it was a cool Britannia novel. It was great, mm. it was of, of its moment and That it was, was Ralph's That was Ralph's party. Yeah. Um and yeah, so then I just that's that's the writer I was for a while. I was a writer of like cool, quirky, romantic comedies set in London. Um, but then they always had some quite dark undercurrents going on. And I think just what happened is, as I got older, I've been writing a book a year since then. And with every book, I've just sort of stepped further away from the romance, stepped further into the darkness. At some point, I killed one of my characters, kind of crossed the Rubicon. You can't go back once you've done that. Um, and it's just been very incremental going mm. from one t- style of book mm. to the other
2: and you have said that your first marriage uh, was not particularly happy had some dark bits in it yeah. for you quite a bleak part of your life but it's provided quite a lot of material and presumably quite a lot of empathy because your yeah. characters now in your books uh, encounter darkness quite a lot don't they and there's the, there's quite often a friction within relationships that yeah. from the outside might appear to be okay. And it's
3: often about power and control, and I think that's that's the thing that's informed a lot of my books, even in my earlier, lighter books as well, I've written about this, is coercive control. And the marriage I was in in my early twenties, we didn't even have the terminology for it back then. I just thought I was in a difficult relationship, but it turns out I was being coercively controlled by the man that I was married to. Um, and in a pretty much charmed life, that five year chunk of my life where all the doors closed and all the walls closed in on me, was um, incredibly formative and incredibly peculiar and weird to me that I allowed my life to become like that. And so I'm constantly writing about it, trying to look at why some people want to control other people, or how other people allow themselves to be Mm. controlled um, and how people react to it. Do you know if he's ever read your books? Yeah. I know. I think he... I don't know. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. Does but, he know uh, you've gone on to become a wildly does, successful He does. He right. does. At the end of things, it was It was fine. We'd both come to a place with our relationship and with each other where we were ready to move apart. Mm. Um, and I, I have no ill will against him. And he did write me... He wrote me an email when Ralph's Party came out saying that he was very proud of me and very happy for me. So, no, there's no ill will, but it was... A good experience for someone who wants to be a writer to go through in an awful way. Because it's a great—I mean, we all do. We compartmentalize so much, don't we? And
1: I think that's what I meant about the—the story about the the teenage, the aspect of the teenager being in her bedroom all the time. You know, there are plenty of parents who think, "Oh, I must do something about this." Exactly. But we never quite find the right moment. No. Um, so here you are now, wildly successful with your, I have to say this is, there are aspects of this book and I don't, I don't want to go too much into it because we don't want to give it away, but there's a suggestion of paedophilia and incest.
3: Yes. Is there anywhere you wouldn't go as a theme in your I books? Would, I would go anywhere, but I would never dig gratuitously deep, go gratuitously descriptive, linger too much. On the unpleasant aspects of the things that I write about, mm. I will allude to them. I will suggest to the reader that these things are happening. but I'm not going to shine a spotlight on the really, really unpleasant things. I'm not interested in doing mm. that. So
2: Do you think other writers might do that too much now? <sighs> I mean, if you compared uh, passages, particularly about violence towards women, from books that are uh, bestsellers now, to books that were bestsellers even, I think 20, 30 years ago. The change is enormous,
3: actually. You mean you think people do write in a more graphic and gratuitous Very way about so. these things? Yes, I think they do. Um, I'm trying to think of my recent reading. I'm trying to think of books. Well, we've been having quite yeah, a few what conversations with
2: crime fiction writers. <laughs> ah, right. Where you know, the descriptive passages about what happens to bodies, and particularly actually what happens to women, uh, are really very
3: very detailed right. now. I feel that I feel that there was a sense, there was a backlash building. There was all that sort of Scandi noir um, that we were watching mm. five, eight years ago, um, and it just became a sort of trope. This idea of this sort of torture, crime, torture porn thing. And I felt, I thought that we'd all taken a step back from that and had decided that we didn't need to focus in on the girl being sort of tied up and dragged around and brutalized and so maybe I'm watching different things and and reading different things but I don't feel there's as much of that around as there once was well having said I mean true crime podcasts remain yeah
1: incredible well as you're part of your book incredibly successful yeah
3: um so there's clearly a perhaps a rather dark part of us that wants this stuff oh yeah I love the darkness I want the darkness I want as much darkness in my life as possible on a creative level it feeds me I love it but I don't think I need the gore and the cruelty and the agony and the horrible descriptions of what's actually happened to people and in fact a lot of the darkness I really really enjoy has got nothing to do with violence I'm listening to Scamander at the moment which is a, a podcast about a, a woman in America who pretended to have cancer for many years and conned all her friends and family in her church out of thousands and thousands of dollars. And it's so dark and it's so twisted, but there's no violence, there's no blood, there's no gore. So I think you can go incredibly dark without having to visit those sorts yeah. of scenes so you are in writing terms you're not just
1: successful you are a machine because you do produce I do feel like a machine oh yes. <laughs> no uh, well but it's a compliment Lisa <laughs> well it is because I mean you you obviously I mean I honestly was captivated by this on that train on Saturday so you what you do is you buy people this sort of special time where they can just involve themselves in something they fervently hope will never happen to them. But by God, it takes your mind off your problems.
3: But this is, for me as a reader, the the greatest gift that a writer can give me with their book is to just lose me in it, Mm. is to do all the work for me and turn the pages for me and keep me glued to it, keep me off my smartphone, for goodness sake, keep me off the television, for goodness sake, keep me in the book. And it's so rare these days. I find it harder and harder to stay focused on a book. So any book that can keep me in, on the page, in the book, in that world, is just a gift to me. So for you to say that is, that's my goal. I want to keep the book, th- I don't want the reader to put, 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 put the, the book down, down and pick yeah. up their phone. Basically. Well, you couldn't get a higher accolade then from oh. Musgar. Oh, cause, yeah, cause, but
2: who do you turn to? Who do you read for exactly that?
3: The last book I, re- I read the way that you read my book was um, Everyone Here is Lying by Shari Lapina, which um, just came out last week, right. in fact. And I read that... I think I started it in the morning. I was travelling to Madrid by three o'clock in the morning that same day. I'd finished it. Right, OK. Um, well, and I just a... guzzled it down. Um, but, so that was amazing. Um, I can't remember the last book other than that that I've read. in. Such and do a you
2: ever worry that if you read too close to your own genre, bits and pieces might get a bit stuck like a kind of lint roller? They uh, might no, up
3: in I'm really, really good at, at keeping my writing compartmentalised from the rest of my life. Um, it's something that I do in that moment, and I, I read in this moment, I watch TV in that moment, I write in another moment, and they don't seem to bleed into it, apart from in like maybe really good, helpful ways.
1: Do you think women write more convincing,
3: creepy women than men? <gasps> yes. Oh, actually, no, I'm, I'm thinking, I can't think of an example, but I've definitely read some really great, creepy, creepy women written by men, but. I just I, think writing creepy people generally. I like writing creepy. I like writing creepy people. So yeah, it's funny. Maybe it's just I'm just being sexist. But
1: if a man writes a creepy woman, I'm just a bit resentful. Uh, but if a woman writes a creepy woman, I think yeah.
3: You yes. need to read anonymously.
2: Yeah. You need to put a do I okay a, yeah.
1: a, a, a piece of brown
2: paper. So I give men a bright. Bright. <laughs>
3: yes the ultimate (laughs) test exactly the brown paper test so um, presumably you're underway with what will it be novel number no this is number 21 i've i'm doing rewrites on number 22 at the moment which is not behaving quite as well as this book behaved in the writing process um and yes and then i'll be starting number 23 in september okay and you are some just to give people hope you didn't study English at Cambridge? Oh, no. or No, no. Um,
1: and I, do, I, mean, I hope that's not patronising. No, did, I, I like either, this. But, um, I like
3: this. I love this. I love that I can say this to people mm. who, who want to write books, that I left school when I was 16. I went to a really good grammar school yeah. but I didn't do very well because I wasn't very academic. I left school when I was 16. I went to my local college. I did an art foundation course. I then went off to another college and did some strange fashion illustration course. Uh, I worked in fashion retail for many years, and by the time I started writing Rouse Party, I was, I was a secretary. I didn't do a degree, I haven't read any of the classics. I, and I, how old were you when you did
2: write Rouse Party? I
3: started writing it when I was 26, and I got a publishing deal when I was 28, and it came out just around my 30th birthday. It's not, not a wow. bad present to yourself, Not a it? bad way to yeah, no. start a new decade, And definitely. what happened to that original thriller that you tried to write? Oh. Is it somewhere? I think, it's, I think it's everywhere. I think that idea I had for that thriller, which was very much to do with my first marriage, I've scattered it. It's all, in, it's all in all my books, okay, in different shapes and forms. So that's more encouragement for people who
1: perhaps are in need of just a boost to know that, because you might be in a bad place in a relationship or yes. elsewhere,
3: and everything can be material. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's that incredibly true.
1: Lisa Jewell and um I, I think probably I do often claim that I've really enjoyed a book and I gobbled it up and all the other phrases I I do churn You're out probably to backtrack on other books no, now no. and say that you like this one the most. No, it was just immensely I I couldn't leave it. I actually found some aspects of it almost too dark to contemplate if I'm honest. But as Lisa says, basically we all like that. We may not want to admit it to ourselves, but we do like to mm. read about it. Well mo. A lot of people. I wouldn't say everybody, actually. Mm. No, my mum just likes a book about nature. Oh, yes. My mother My mother keeps complaining.
3: What was yeah. it she didn't
1: like about... She didn't like £10 poms because there was too much about the war. There was too much violence. Well, you see, there you, you go. Know, uh, there was too much something else. And I just said, what do you... I think she thought too much heat. What do you think it was like to go to Australia in the 1950s if you were from Manchester? There was probably quite a lot going on. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Anyway. She might just want to stick with celebrity pointless as well. Mm, yeah. Can I just uh chuck out um the graph and thing that we were talking about earlier? I didn't quite get to the end of Susie's email. Oh yeah, go on. Well she says, I'm a mum juggling two teenagers work and a seven year PhD due in this November uh, so she just wanted to say uh, thank you because sometimes the radio keeps you going through stuff like that, doesn't it? But I am intrigued yeah, we Susie, need to know. What is as it? to what the PhD yeah. is on.
1: Do all PhDs take seven years, or if you're, you know, you're a quick typer, could you do it in a year? I don't know. I think,
2: I think it's a fair old body of work, isn't it? I don't know whether you can do it in a year. No. I think seven years is quite long, but I, d- I don't want to be offensive because I'm sure some. Subjects of research take a very long time. And also, if you're mumming two teenagers, you you genuinely don't
1: have very much spare time. You've got your hands full with the housewife. I never, I've still got time to watch Deadlines. can't watch the telly. And I've got more pets than you. Oh, shut up. You don't know how many pets I've got on the quiet. I know exactly how many pets you've got on the quiet, love. I know where all your hamsters are. Uh, I want to say quick hello to Eva. I hope I've pronounced your name right. Eva's daughter last week discovered an interview she wanted to t- show her mum with a fantastic lady interviewing her favourite star, David Tennant. <laughs> Guess who it was? Was it Sue Lawley? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Eva's a, a very loyal Polish listener. So thank you very much for that and all the best to your daughter as well. Right. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll hopefully uh, contact or see a couple of you Oh,
2: yeah. Come and say hello. Uh, Don't be shy. Uh, And especially if you walk past the listening post tent and there's nobody in there, uh, then call up all of your friends. Take pity on us. Maybe, you know, morph yourself into two people or maybe bring a stuffed (laughs) scarecrow with you. Or maybe put a jacket on a yeah. chair next to you and talk to the jacket and pretend it's a person.
1: Please come, please come. Oh, by the way, I think the weather forecast for tomorrow is—is is, what it's dreadful? She, I think she whispered, "Dreadful." I don't know why. Uh, good evening. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe.
2: And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading
1: out in the car on the school run or running a bank. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you can join us again on off-air very soon. Don't be so silly.
3: Money go bank.
1: I know, ladies, lady. A lady listener. They?
3: i know, sorry.
0: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com